0: Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 26. The topic is, or the subsection, is called A Tree and Its Fruit. Still working through the Sermon on the Mount, this is Christ's opening sermon in His ministry. So, fairly easy topic today to understand, but it's a very important one to keep in the forefront of our minds in the Christian community, especially while we're listening to sermons. Okay? Now, we all must remember at the end of the day, it's our personal responsibility to pursue truth. Not our truth, but the truth. Remember, the objective truth is different than a subjective presupposition about our own truth, which isn't even a thing. There's there's no such thing as our truth. It's the truth, and it's our responsibility to pursue the truth. Now, if anyone's listening, and they are married, it is your responsibility as the man and husband to be the priest in your home on behalf of the high priest. Jesus is the high priest, and every husband, every father, is the priest. All right? Now, fathers, if your daughters aren't married, regardless of age, it is your responsibility to be a priest to them on behalf of the high priest. What I mean by that is to listen intently and to verify everything they're being taught and ensure that they're not being deceived. And, and personal responsibility comes into what church they go to and what information they're being told. Because Jesus will hold you accountable. You're not going to be able to sit back and say, oh, well, that preacher deceived them. That's not my fault. Jesus is going to say, that's your daughter. That is your daughter. That's not, the, that's not that pastor's daughter. That's not the pastor's wife. That's your wife. That's your daughter. Those are your children. So there is a ton of responsibility that comes with being the head of a household. And we'll talk more about the responsibilities of a husband later on, which I don't think, I think men squander personally. I don't think men understand who they truly are, according to the Bible. And I don't think they, t- they take it seri- as seriously as they should. So let's just stop there. Uh, But that information does tie in today's message. That's why I kind of added that preface. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will be recognized, excuse me, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So first, let's talk about false prophets. Many people hear the word prophet and they think someone who predicts an event or something like that. And that is one definition of a prophet. That's one context that it can be used, but it's not the only context. So let's hit some commentaries. The following information was taken from Augustine of Hippo's commentary. Here, therefore, those who promise a wisdom and a knowledge of the truth which they do not possess are especially to be guarded against, as, for instance, heretics. So here Augustine the Hippo, Hippo refers to false prophets as false teachers, which means people who are heretics and people who do not possess the knowledge of truth. Now, a heretic is someone who commits heresy. So, obviously, the definition of heretic kind of just points us to the definition of heresy. It's a word that points us to a word, right? So, heresy can be defined in a few different ways. The first definition of heresy is adherence to religious opinion contrary to church dogma. So, that's considered dogmatic heresy, right? But that's not the only type of heresy. There is biblical heresy as well. Biblical heresy is an opinion, a doctrine, or a practice contrary to the truth. Okay, again, there's no such thing as my truth. There's the truth. Okay, and there's no, like, it doesn't matter how someone interprets the Bible, that the Bible has each verse. Now, there may be, there's four translations, literal, moral, allegorical, and anagogical. So, sure, you, if you want to say that each verse could have four Truths, yes, that's the truth, the four aspects of translational truth within a given verse. That's fine, but that's still the truth. That's four elements of the truth. There's no such thing as my truth. Truth is not subjective. Everything in the Bible is completely objective, coming from God. It is the truth, period, dot. So here, any biblical heresy would be any opinion held that violates Scripture. And if you've listened to the past probably five or six podcasts, I've given examples of how that's, that happens all the time. People mis-teach scripture all the time, and it, it, it irks me. It's like my, I'll be in church if I hear something, and I've gone to a bunch of churches. This is not me just hammering one or just casually criticizing. I've been to a lot of churches trying to find ones that are offering a, you know, a very detailed, precise form of biblical truth rather than generalities, let's say, um, and it's hard to find. It's hard to find a church that's 100% biblically accurate. It's just, it's tough. And, and you know, I think the reason for that is because a lot of preachers, they stick with the, the English translation. They find an the English translation they like, and it's kind of like they get comfortable and they stop laboring over Scripture, let's say, which we really can't ever do. We have to labor diligently over Scripture, if we're going to teach, but it's also as a listener, we have to verify what we're being taught also. That's why I go through all these commentaries and the original manuscripts and I cross compare with different translations. I'm trying to show you guys that I've labored over this. So the primary, uh, that's the primary reason why I focus on biblical heresy and I don't pay attention to dogmatic heresy. But I will give you an example of dogmatic heresy. So the infallibility of the Pope, that would be an example of dogmatic heresy. Heresy, or excuse me, that would be an example of dogma. I apologize. An example of dogma would be the infallibility of the Pope. Now, I I can't find any biblical evidence for that, so I consider the infallibility of the Pope as biblical heresy. So, and I primary focus, uh, my primary focus is it has to stays on stay on biblical heresy because the Bible is the final authority. Now again it's not the English translation of the Bible, that's the final authority, it's the original manuscripts. So the Bible is actually in Greek and Hebrew. What we read are English translations and then we're fortunate enough to have online resources that have transliterated the manuscripts so we can read it and understand them. So to me it's a grave mistake to teach from only one English Bible. It's grave. So we have to keep an eye out for people who are false teachers or people who teach biblical heresy or violate or pervert scripture. Now, here is where someone could potentially say, well, what if they didn't mean to teach heresy? And my response to that would be, well, regardless if the heresy was intentional or unintentional, it can still produce the same fruit if someone doesn't know any better. So if the listener doesn't know any better, it can still manifest the same fruit, regardless if the heresy was intentional or unintentional. Now the fruit that that comes with something like that, because not all fruit, is the same thing. We must remember that words are abstractions, but consider fruit as something like a perceptual outcome. So, if you if someone teaches some heresy unintentionally, it's going to it can, if the person that's listening doesn't verify, it can can it can form a perceptual uh, fruit, right? So their perceptions are shaped, and that's why teaching is so important because, well, James says. In, in James chapter three verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And he, then he goes to talk about how a massive ship is guided by a small rudder, and that's the tongue. The tongue is the rudder of the body. Let's say. So it's we have to verify everything people are telling us. Again, that's why I go through the commentary So we'll take. Um, We'll take. A, we'll look into some commentaries now. The following information was taken from a scholarly commentary. Nothing so much prevents men from entering the straight gate and becoming true followers of Christ as the carnal, soothing, flattering doctrine of those who oppose truth. Now that's prophecy. We have more prophecy in the Bible about how teachers are going to false teachers are going to tickle the ears, right? So it's gonna be about soothing and flattery and feel good. You already see this happening within certain parts of Christianity, even though it's not true Christianity, it's a false, it's a falsehood, it's false teachings. So now to me, what the, what the most terrifying thing about the truth is, is we have to know what the truth is in order to walk in it. So you may have heard people say, we should walk in light. Why not? Have you asked them what that means? Okay, what does it mean to walk in light? exactly because we can't just we can't just say things guys we can't we can't just say things we have to know what we're saying and the original manuscripts define light as truth and knowledge together with spiritual purity so we have to know the truth in order to not be deceived by false teachers that's what's so terrifying about the truth because if we don't know the truth then we're easily deceived we must have the knowledge of Scripture to not be deceived by false teachers, we must know what spiritual purity is to not be deceived by false teachers. It's, it's it's so difficult, but that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing this. is for you guys because I've labored over. I'm like, man, that just doesn't sit right with me. And then I turn and then I investigate it, and it's like, come to find out, well, that's not at all what that means. And someone else will say something, and I would think, man, that just doesn't sit right with me. it doesn't make sense. And I would investigate, come to find out, it's it's wrong. It's just it's. Someone has, you ha, people who teach, and even people who listen, we have to verify everything. Trust, but verify, in some sense. And folks, this is no joke. There's no, this is no joke. There's a legit, legitimately a false gospel being taught right now that implicitly tells people being a Christian is about God blessing you and prospering you. So, well, no, that's not, that can happen, but that's not the focus. There's a false gospel being taught right now that will implicitly tell people you're automatic holy the second you believe something to be true. Well, that's not true. People will claim that the process of justification and sanctification, sanctification is complete upon the, upon the profession of Christ as Lord. And that's not the case. I mean, if we think about this, if we think about it and we look up the definitions of words, we know we're being lied to. But we can't just swallow it. We can't. We have to test everything and hold fast to what is good, which I think is 1 Thessalonians 5.21. I think that was Paul's epistle to Thessalonica. Forgive me if it's a different verse, but it's told either way. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. There's a false gospel being taught right now that implicitly tells people there's nothing we can do to fall from grace under any circumstances, even though there's an apostle in hell right now. You can look that up in Acts. Judas is in hell. It's terrifying. It's terrifying because people are literally being lied to every day. There's a false gospel right now that straight up perverts the nature of Christ. The same perverse gospel says Jesus was always nice. He always had the fruits of the spirits. He was always cheerful. People always loved him. He had a way with words. He was admired. He was respected. Those are just grossly perverted. And they couldn't be more wrong. Let's look at what the prophet Isaiah said about Jesus. Eleven short things. Number one, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no majesty that we should look at him. Number two, he had no beauty that we should desire him. That should hit. That should sting. Especially how Hollywood has or I should say how Jesus has been Hollywoodized. Number three, he was despised and rejected by men. Number four, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Number five, he was one from whom men hid their faces. People avoided him. Number six, he was despised and we esteemed him not. People resented him, they didn't like him. Number seven, Surely he has been borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Number eight, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Number nine, he was pierced for our transgressions. Number 10, he was crushed for our iniquities. Number 11, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Go watch the chosen and see if Jesus is handsome or not. Go watch other television series, other movies, and see if, he's, if Jesus is handsome or not. See if they picture him as cheerful and happy and smiling and got swagger. Go listen to pastors and see if they talk about Jesus telling people that they are of their father, the devil. Go listen to pastors and see if they talk about Jesus calling people a brood of vipers. You may have heard people say Jesus had the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that goodness. And my response would be, would be, on what day? And on what chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are you referring to? Because love isn't an emotion. So if you're talking about love while he's being scourged at the pillar and the crown of thorns, and he's hanging after carrying a 165-pound cross, yeah, that's love. You think there was joy on the cross? Get a reality check. You think there was peace on the cross? You think Jesus had peace? Depends on what you're referring to as peace. Peace in the here and now, the tribulation in the here and now, or the peace of his promise in the afterlife. Do you have patience? Well, it depends. Does, is patience unending? Is it unending? Was there a patience demonstrated when he made a whip of cords and drove people out of the temple for their blatant disrespect? What about kindness? Is it kind to call someone Satan? What about his followers, the apostle Peter? Called him Satan, is that kind? Well, it depends on what situation you're in, whether you consider someone kind or not. If someone's sinning, kindness isn't always the right answer. Rebuke is an answer at times. It takes sophistication. You can't just throw these blanket things on Jesus. What about generosity? Well, he was a man without any majesty. He wasn't a rich man. So what was his generosity demonstrated as? His generosity was demonstrated by his, his, the time he invested in his apostles and his ministry. His faithfulness. Oh, he most certainly was faithful to the point of death. People think faithfulness has an element of happiness to it. It doesn't. He was a man of sorrows, afflicted, smitten. Was he gentle? Well, that depends. Is righteous indignation gentle? Is making a whip of cords and whipping people out of the temple gentle? It depends on the situation. What about self-control? People think just because someone demonstrates anger, they lose self-control. That's not losing self-control. Losing self-control is not being able to control yourself. (sighs) So much misinterpretation. What Jesus displayed, it depended on the day and what he was up against. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows. He had no majesty, no beauty, constantly rejected, constantly despised, and people hid from him. You know why that was? because he told the truth and nobody wanted to hear it because man had perverted the truth after let's say the seat of Moses and we see this happening now in Christianity there are, there are modern day Pharisees Sadducees and scribes right now it's happening right now the same thing that happened to Judaism is happening to Christianity there's a perversion going on and it's false teachers that are responsible for perverting the nature of Christ Now let's talk about a tree and its fruit. The Bible says if the tree does not bear good fruit, it will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, that's pretty terrifying. That seems to be some sort of important message in there, I'd say. So let's hit the commentary. The following information was taken from Augustine of Hippo's commentary. First of all, in this similitude, the Lord is speaking about two kinds of persons. The tree, of course, is the soul itself, that is, the person, and the fruits are the person's works. So a bad person cannot perform good works, nor can a good person perform bad works. So for those of you who don't know, Augustine of Hippo was an early church father. He was no ignorant person by any means. He recognized the Bible verse that said, only God is good. So what he means by this is that a person who's who's genuinely tilted towards malevolence is not going to be concerned about doing good works laid out in Scripture. And what that also means is a person who's determined to perform good works In scripture aren't going to be able to do bad things, right? So you can tell, but that's the thing about evil, it's insidious. So you can't always tell because evil becomes, gets very sophisticated and they hide things. So, you know, the Bible says we're not supposed to interpret thoughts and intentions, so we have to be very wary. And there's a, there's a specific way you have to test people, test the spirit, let's say. So, the other thing is that if the tree does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So that's, that's terrifying, right? So let's just leave it at this. We need to have good fruit. And it's not just the fruits of the Spirit as it's taken out of context, right? We need to have good works. We need to have understand the outcomes of our, of our teachings, let's say. And we need to test all of those things and hold fast to what is good. So let's bring today to a close number five short summaries. Number one, false prophets are people who teach biblical heresy or violate scripture in their teachings. Number two, to know if someone is a false prophet or false teacher, we must know what the truth is and the spiritual purity associated with it, and we must possess the knowledge in relationship to those things. You know, being a human being human being is brutal because ignorance makes us susceptible to other people's incompetence, right? And so we have to know things in order to recognize if we're being deceived or not. That's why the ultimate responsibility has to fall on the individual or the head of the home, really, to teach what's right. If I'm married and I have children, it is my responsibility to filter what I hear in Scripture. As soon as we get done with church, I'm going, I have to tell my family, this is is the heresy that was taught today. These are the Bible verses that violate the heresy taught i should say or this is the bible verses that prove that person was teaching heresy and we're not going to go to that church anymore. i'm going to go try to talk to the pastor and if he doesn't repent then we're going to have to go to a different church i mean it's a brutal job being a husband and a father is a brutal job because you have to constantly you're responsible for what information your children forage for and that includes the pulpit too. It's not like, oh, well, he's a pastor. He knows what he's doing. No, he's a human being. He's not infallible. No human being is infallible except Jesus Christ. Number three, the Bible is not the only thing false teachers have perverted. They perverted the nature of Jesus Christ. There's no question. He was a man of sorrows, no majesty, no beauty, constantly rejected, constantly despised and people hid from him. And the reason for that was because he called people out for heresy. He taught the truth and he didn't tolerate any disrespect regarding the Lord. Regarding God, which, you know, those of you who don't know, Colossians 2.9, the entirety of the deity of the Godhead was inside Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in flesh. Number four, the fruits of the person are their efforts or works. So, but outcomes too, right? But we can't be outcome-oriented. We have to just tell the truth. So, the questions are, regarding our fruits, what are we working toward and how does that relate to Scripture? Okay? Number five, a person cannot perform good works, nor can a good person perform bad works. So again, only God is good. So what that means is if people are malevolent, they're not going to want to do the right thing, according to the Bible. If people are genuinely biblical Christians, which is it's terrible that I have to even say that. If they're actual Christians who seek to live a biblical life, they're not going to perform bad works. Okay, so, you know, here's one more thing that was popping in my mind as I was talking today that I want to close with. It's what teachers actually do. All right, so I, wanted, I want in relationship to specifically the Father, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. There are people, regarding works, since we talked about that in, in Summary 5, we don't do anything. Teachers and preachers and pastors and priests, we really don't do anything, truly. Like, if someone raises their hand and say I've brought this many people to Christ. No, you haven't. Because the Bible says the Father draws people to Christ. Okay? The only thing pastors, preachers, and, and bishops are, and what they're supposed to do is tell the truth. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Father does the drawing to Christ. Christ does the justification and sanctification in relationship to how we are also responsible for justification and sanctification. So, justification and sanctification are two. It's a two-sided coin. One is what one side is what God does. The other side is what the believer or the person of faith does. But don't let if anybody thinks that they are the ones that are bringing people to Christ, that's arrogance and that's hubris. Because the Father draws people to Christ, and the Holy Spirit does the convicting. So, if anybody wants to know what it means to be a Christian teacher, it's to just tell the truth within church. It's just tell the truth around communion familial communion let's say it's when you're around people you just tell the truth of what's in scripture that's it that's your job every human being's job is you tell the truth what's in scripture you let the holy spirit do the convicting and you let the father draw people to jesus christ all right so let's not get so tangled up in our own egos that we think that we're doing anything more than just telling the truth all right a lot of information today but i hope you guys enjoyed it I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.